Good morning. morning. Take a moment to greet others around you and tell them what your favorite season is. And then at the end, I'll tell you which answer is the right answer. And the right answer is <laughs> hunting season, yes. Or autumn, fall. That's the correct answer. My name is Stacy. I'm on staff here in the office. And one of my tasks here is to take attendance on Sunday morning so I know all of your names. And now you know mine. And if if you think I don't know your name, come up to me after service and challenge me, because I probably do. And if I don't, then it'll help me to take attendance. So do that after service. That was maybe a little creepy that I know all your names. But it's my job. I've been here for 16 years, so I know the back of your heads really well, because I sit in the sound booth. I am tasked with announcements this morning. So the first announcement is, it is the last day to sign up for the Valentine's Day banquet. Um, if you haven't done that, it's a great time, it's great food, and if you have little kids, it's childcare for free. So $50 for speaker, food, childcare. You can't beat that price. Um, and it is next door. You'll know that when you arrive, because all the lights will be off over here, but we're having it in the gathering place. Um, on the 25th, we have the family skate night at Skate City, which is also so fun and a free event, and there's pizza, so you don't have to cook again and drinks, and um, I think there's an award for like the oldest person that skates. Uh, yeah, we have little creative things we do. Um, it might be Cody, because he's so old. <laughs> um, men's retreat, the sign up just landed, so either scan the QR code or go online. Sign up for that, I don't know many details, but they'll be on the sign up information. Um, the Grand Prix is, the kids have been working so hard on their cars for Awana, and I've seen a lot of them. They're so cute, and yeah, they've put a lot of hours into them. So if you want to come to that, it is the 17th, or the, yeah, 17th, I believe, Saturday the 17th. I don't have a slide for that, but it's at 1 p.m., and there's going to be brats and dogs, so there's another event with food. We feed you guys all the time, and that's free as well. Um, and then this week's celebration is Ruby's Pantry. So that is this weekend, correct, at Living Water Church? And Cody sent me a few pictures to put up, but they're, like, not enticing pictures. It's, look at the coffee's frozen. They were drinking coffee, and it froze that day. So, uh, but there's a lot of volunteers that come. If you can come and volunteer, come at 7. Otherwise, you can get a food share for $25. I don't think it's going to be as cold this Sunday that your coffee will freeze while you're waiting. Um, yeah, I've done it before. It's a great time to volunteer and just get involved with the community. And that's it for announcements. I'll invite Cody up. Awesome. Thanks, Stacey. Yeah, I encourage you next Saturday morning, 7 o'clock. And, uh, yeah, just come for Ruby's Pantry. It's a great time. It's 
cold sometimes, but it keeps you motivated to keep handing out the food as fast as you can. And yeah, that picture last, last month, I was amazed. I, I was grabbing my coffee. I'm like, it's frozen already. So it may not be that cold as we get into it this coming Saturday. We are in the book of Acts. So grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we got a Bible in front of you. Or some of you techie, fancy people, it's on your phone in different ways. We are in the book of Acts, and again, what we're doing through the book of Acts, we're taking a year and a half, and we're going through this book looking at what it means to be a witness, because often you'll hear this phrase, a witness, and then what we're doing is we're going to do usually a section, and there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and that's a lot, so we're not going to do every verse, every story, every detail, we're going to do a section, then out of that I'm going to pull a particular story, event, and then we'll look at the aspects of this historical narrative. But also in that, if you recall, we're going to take a lot of time looking each week at a theological concept that is being taught. With that, to say this, in the book of Acts, for Acts chapter 1, what I'm trying to do is, as we go through Acts chapter 1, I'm going to lay out some of the topics we're going to talk about in the future. So last week we talked about Christ, the importance of this fancy word Christology, and who is Christ you know what did he come for how did he live a life of complete obedience and what is the meaning of the cross and the atonement and his function and what does he do now he's he ascended and what does that mean so we're going to go through those topics we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and then today we're going to talk about a topic so again these are just overviews of what we're doing for chapter one and then in chapter two and following we'll get deeper into that So if you would join me in a word of prayer. Why are we praying? You can open your eyes if you're not already staring at me. All right, take a look at me. Why, why do we pray? Some of you are like, okay, it's been 10 seconds. Little deacons looking at me going, what's going on, Pastor Cody? Why do we even pray? That's a good question. What, 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 what's the purpose of praying? I said, let's pray. And some of you are like, okay, uh, is this silent prayer today? Sometimes it's the why. Why do we pray? And we got some problems and issues with that personally. We can look at, okay, I bring my request to God. How many have ever prayed for something and never happened? I'm raising both hands, right? Okay. <clears throat> Poor Pastor Aaron was praying for the Lions to win. That little thing about Pastor Aaron, he's so young, he's never seen his team go this far. Or his team so bad, never mind. Okay, all right. Yeah, we, we pray, but why, really, why do we pray? What, what, why do we pray? Or sometimes it's the how. When I said it's time to pray, how many of you bowed your head and closed your eyes? Just raise your hand if you did that. Okay, most of you did that. Except little kids, you're like, oh, okay. In fact, when I was a little kid, it was like, when I sat where you're sitting, my dad would be like, fold your hands. So that way you don't start picking your nose or doing something else, poking your brother. Fold your hands, close your... What's, what's the proper way to pray? 
Sometimes we struggle with all these questions. Sometimes they're hard questions. Like, we've got a lot of needs, a lot of concerns in our life. Each week I deal with people with many, many needs. And through a series of events, sometimes I ask, hey, can I pray for you? Sometimes it doesn't work out that way, which is fine, I'll pray for them. But how are we to pray? Not close my eyes, fold my hands. Don't do that when you're driving, okay? That's important. But what do we do with prayer? How come is maybe. So what I'm going to do is this. Today, I'm going to give an overview of prayer, just to kind of whet your appetite, to kind of get you thinking. And what we're going to do, again, if you recall, the book of Acts, the actions of, again, traditionally, this book is titled The Actions of the Apostles. But as we go through this book, we're going to realize Yes, it's the action of the apostles, but really, it's the actions of God. It's the actions of prayer. So every month, we will be hitting on the topic of prayer, looking at and answering many of these questions. So I encourage you, uh, again, these aren't up on the screen right now. The notes will be online here soon. I've got a bunch of questions, but let's think through some of these. Here are some questions we have about prayer. How come God does not answer my prayers. We have serious, serious, deep needs. And how come God sometimes does not answer our prayers? Is that the way we would understand it? If God really was concerned about me, he would truly answer my prayers. And we have many unanswered prayers. Or this, how come Pastor Tony gets all his prayers answered and I don't? Some people, it seems like they just give the request and they get get all their answers. And I'm still going, okay, Lord, I'm still at this one prayer request. When is it my turn? Here's one. If God is who he is, which he truly is, if God is who he is and he knows the future, he knows what's going to happen. In fact, it says in Matthew chapter 5, when we come to him, he already knows our request then why even pray, right? Why pray to a God who already knows the future? Well, why would we pray? Or this. How do I truly give my needs to the Lord? Is there a very systematic way? Is there a special way we are to pray? When it comes to mealtime, when it comes to whatever, when you have financial, physical needs, is there a specific way? Or, here's the big one, how do I know the voice, the will of God? As we pray, we want to know His will. We want to follow His will. How do we know the voice of God, the will of God? Let's say you're going to pray a simple prayer like, okay, Lord, I want to go out to eat today, and uh, show me where you want me to eat. You drive by McDonald's, you go, oh, I don't want to do that. Or you drive by Culver's, you know, what? How do we know his, can we hear his voice when we pray? Or do we already have his will given to us? How do we know the will of God? Oh, and we're going to talk a lot about that as we go through the book of Acts. Here's one. How do we become intimate with an invisible God? People in every religion pray, okay? Okay. 
Or the phrase says, even an atheist will pray in a foxhole, okay? Everyone at a certain time goes, okay, I need some help. But we don't see this God that we pray to. How do we get intimate? Is it really a way to build a relationship with God? Or this, how should a Christian respond to unanswered prayers? And again, some people might say, well, there's really no unanswered prayers. God is saying wait, or God is saying no, whatever. There's, there's a couple simplistic answers to that, but sometimes I don't like simplistic answers. And we're going to get into unanswered prayers. Why is it that we have unanswered prayers? Or again, this one is related to what I asked before. How can I tell an all-knowing God what I need? But if he already knows my need. Here's a big one. Does prayer change the mind of God? That's a big one. You may not think it's big, but it's, it's a serious question. Because if God is God, and it says in Scripture, He never changes. His character never changes. He Himself doesn't change. Then, well, what's the point of prayer? Someone said once that prayer is the muscle that moves the hand of God. Well, if God doesn't change, why would I pray? What's the point of prayer then? Does God change His mind? What do people mean when they say prayer works? Got an issue, got a situation, prayer works. What does it mean that prayer works? How does it work? Are there certain things we need to have for prayer to work? For instance, today, for our worship team, usually we have a lot more people up here. A couple people were sick. Do we need to have drums to have a complete worship team? No, we only had three today. What are the things that we need in our lives for prayer to actually work? Does a trusting person have to pray less than an ancient or an anxious person? Those who seem to have life all together and they, they never have issues and stuff, they, they must pray less. But those who are anxious and troublesome, maybe they got to pray more. Or is it the opposite? Maybe some people feel guilty because they're like, I got all these issues, but that's because I'm not praying enough. And then it becomes a duty and a legalistic problematic issue we'll deal with that oh here's a tough one why pray to a god who lets people hurt have you seen hurting people around yeah well really fundamentally that question is flawed And we're going to learn this a little bit today, but more in the future. The foundation of prayer is the character of God, okay? The foundation of prayer is the character of God. So there's a problem even with this question, why pray to a God who lets people hurt? Here's one, and this is one I struggled when I was in grad school. This is one where I, I was... You know, I went to Bible college, studied the Bible, and I, you know, I was like, oh, I know a bunch of stuff. Then I went to grad school and studied deeper the Word of God. And here's the question I had. Does God need my prayers for Him to act? 
if God is going to do what he's going to do, then does he need my prayers? For instance, let me, I'll, I'll, here's a fictitious example. Let's say we have someone in our church that's sick, and I go to the hospital, visit this sick person, and they fi- we find out that they got a disease or something, or a sickness that's going to end their life in a month. And I say, all right, church, let's pray. Does God need my prayers to have the power to act and heal that person? And here was my thought. I was like, well, if I just say one prayer, isn't that good enough? Or does God have like this tally thing? All right, I need 100 prayers, then I'll do the work that you ask me. Again, some of these issues are based upon a wrong understanding of who God is and how he acts. Again, here's some more questions. Why pray since I didn't get what I wanted last time, right? Okay, I'm not going to pray for that again. No, thanks. Does God only answer prayer when enough people pray for something? There's that tally mark thing. Does it mean that we got to pray a hundred times? And even within Christianity, certain denominations, certain churches say, here's the prayer you got to pray, here's the beads you got to hold, go through this step, and then it will be done and complete. What kind of prayers are the ones that God does answer, and what are the prayers He will not answer? Sometimes you think, well, I'm a Christian. I'll lay my needs before the Lord and he'll answer it. <clears throat> Both in the Old and New Testament, it's interesting where God says, come to me, I'll hear your request. But if you have sin in your life, if you're treating your spouse a certain way, don't even, worst pray, don't even waste your time praying. Get your heart right. What is my part in prayer? Can lifestyle hinder, can sin hinder my prayers? Or here's one. Are we to pray to God the Father, God the Son? Do we pray to the Holy Spirit? We've got the Trinity. We pray to the Father, we pray to the Son, but do we pray to the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? What does Scripture teach on that? Or here's a question. What is the connection between prayer and fasting? How many of you have ever, well, I won't have you raise your hand, but what, what's the connection of fasting? What role does that have in prayer? Are we, here's one, are we to pray for specifics or just His will? For instance, here is and again, I, I feel like this is grounded in Scripture. But I'll give you an example. There was a time when someone at our church was very sick. Went to the hospital to visit this person. And at the same time, one of my other friend, pastor friends in town here showed up. Which was great. I'm like, let's get more people praying. And this person was getting very close to saying, you're on your deathbed. And I was like, okay, can God heal? Yes. What is the role of prayer in it? He asks, he says, pray. So I was praying. And then my friend came in, which I was excited. I'm like, more people praying, great. 
So my friend started to pray. And basically his prayer was this. I claim in the name of Jesus through faith that he be healed right now. Boom! Okay? And I was thinking through that. And then my pastor friend was getting a little upset because that healing wasn't happening right now. And he said, well, I just need more faith. You need more faith. And he left a little frustrated because my, our, the person that went to our church here wasn't healed and didn't get up and play the banjo or whatever. He didn't play the banjo. Or whatever. So well, what's the role of faith and prayer and, and God's will? So here's what I, this isn't a cop-out, but here is my prayer. Usually when I pray for people who are sick or a very serious thing, I say, Lord, here is my specific request. I pray that this person would be healed. This person has kids. You know, there's a lot of elements that I'm like, urgently, Lord, please. And then I always end with, if it is your will. I don't think it's a cop-out, but again, I want to submit to your will. Because here's what's interesting in Scripture. When you look through the Gospels, every person that Jesus healed, guess what? They eventually died. So what do we do with specifics or just put up our hands and go, oh, just whatever your will is, Lord. Here's one. Is there evidence that God answers prayer? We can say, oh yeah, he helped me through this, but let, well, let's talk about tangible empirical verification. Is there evidence that God answers prayer? The first year I was here as a pastor, during one of our prayer meetings, it was a year and a half, I'll never forget it. Someone came in, and they're like, I got the news, I have cancer. That's the word none of us want to hear, right? And I remember going, okay, let's pray for this person. And we, in faith, believe that God can heal, but also I know whatever your will is, Lord. The next month, he went to the doctor, guess what? No cancer. That doesn't always happen. Or here's this. Is corporate prayer important? We got individual prayer. I pray when I wake up. I find my little area to pray. Some of you have your way of doing your own little prayer time. You're in the vehicle. You're busy. You're praying. But what about corporate prayer? How important is that? What if I don't believe in the promises or the power of prayer? Can God still answer my prayer? Or here's one. Why do I feel like I fail in prayer? And let me just caution you. Don't think like, I gotta pray more, I gotta pray more. Because we sometimes get in this, uh, this mindset like, well, things are happening, so I just gotta pray more. It's my fault. And you get legalistic about it. But often I feel like I fail in prayer. Or, I got written down here, what is the role of faith in prayer? Like my friend, we approached our friend in that hospital bed with a, maybe a different biblical understanding of prayer. His understanding was, I gotta have more faith, and because he's not standing up playing the banjo, I'm lacking in faith, so I gotta go home and conjure up more faith. Then my friend can play the banjo. 
Here's, let me just say this. I think what's flawed about that is my pastor's friends, the object of his faith was himself and the sick person's faith. Where I think the object of her faith should be God. Does that, you see that? Does prayer really make a difference? And again, most of these questions, I think, are very real. And what I'm going to do is I've already started to break some of these questions up into different passages we will look at as we go through the book of Acts. Most of these questions, as legitimate as they are, have a basis, have answers that have an incorrect view of God. Too much focus on ourselves and a wrong understanding of God. So as we go through the book of Acts, we'll work through that. We'll cover many things on the topic of prayer in our study of Acts. And we'll get back to this topic in a moment. Again, this is just an overview of prayer. The book of Acts, we're going to work through it almost every month. So let's grab our Bibles. Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 12. The apostles returned to Jerusalem. From the hill they called, that was called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath's day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to a room, or the upper room it's called, where they're staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. So now if you recall, Jesus has ascended. He literally in bodily form has ascended and is now seated at the right hand of God. And his request was, guess what? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, but you need to go to Jerusalem and wait for that to happen. The period in Jerusalem began 10 days now. They're going to wait between the ascension and what what we call Pentecost. And during that time, the disciples spent time together waiting for the next event that Jesus promised. And a Sabbath day walk is the distance that a Jewish person was allowed to walk on the Sabbath, which is about three quarters of a mile on a Sabbath. Again, the Sabbath for the Jews were like, guess what? You can't work. So if you have to walk somewhere, you can only walk, they determined, three quarters of a mile. Now Luke wasn't saying that this happened on the Sabbath. He was just explaining how far using this for distance in the upper room is where they were staying a house had to be a little bit larger than your average room upstairs so this is probably a wealthier household and the concept of upper room refers to the roof of the home a common room where a group of people would be housed for an event the 11 names agree with the names in the gospels with the omission of Jews. So take a look at this chart here. Here are the list of the apostles in the New Testament. We got the gospel accounts here, except for John. He doesn't list them out in a, in a specific... But the synoptic gospel we have, you got all... So the reason I got this up there, because sometimes there's a couple names that are the same. And you're wondering, well, which, which person are we talking about here? Because you got a Judas... But then there's also another person nicknamed Judas. You got Simon sometimes, but sometimes his name is Peter. You got two that sometimes sound the same. So who's who here with the disciples? 
For instance, in our church, we have two John Petersons. I think they're both here, right? One's there. I heard Nancy somewhere. There's the other two Johns. So in my phone, I don't have John Peterson. I've got John Peterson accountant. Sorry, that's what I got you for. And John Peterson wrestler. All right, so here's a chart so you know who's who. But notice, you've got, like, take a look at, on this side, the second to last one, Judas, son of James. Judas is mentioned in Luke, but he's also Thaddeus compared to the famous Judas who betrayed Christ. So those are the disciples. Let's now look at verse 14. They joined together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The number one thing that seems to dominate their ten days of waiting is they're together in unity and they pray. So they're together in prayer. We're told they're joined constantly. They devoted themselves to corporate prayer. So remember, they were bewildered like, okay, Jesus just left us. What do we do? We're in trouble. Go wait in Jerusalem. So what they do is now they pray. The ascension resulted in joy, praising God, because now they knew they were on a mission. Prior to the ascension, there's a bit of chaos. Each of the disciples took off. The cross is coming. They leave. Peter denies Christ. It's bad, but now there's unity. And to together means with a single mind. United in heart and mind. Now is the time to focus on what is about to come, as Jesus told them to do. And Luke wants us to know not only were the key disciples there, but take a look at the passage. Some of the women were there. Mary was there. His brothers were there. Not just the God-chosen disciples, but also the God-chosen first witnesses of the resurrection. The women were there. And again, in ancient writings, this would be excluded. In this time period, this would be something like, oh, no, no, don't, don't include the women. But Luke wants everyone to know it was everyone together. His brothers are named in Mark chapter 6. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Though they totally didn't understand what was going on during the time that Jesus was teaching, now they understood. And the main focus of verse 14 is the centrality of prayer. You know that we as a church, one of our core values is prayer. It says on the wall out there, we are powered by prayer. What does that mean? We're powered by prayer. I love that our church has this as a core value. Many churches wouldn't. And many churches have prayer as a low priority. We don't. Prayer is very important. And here's what I think. Churches without prayer are fundamentally flawed in its organization and limited in its effectiveness. We love to pray. I love to pray. 
And we have many in this church that pray. I love it that we have many prayer warriors. We have a sheet, prayer request. I encourage you to grab that, pray. We have many that pray for me. I love it. Once in a while, I'll send someone a text. Would you just pray? I got certain people I know that will stop and pray for me. We must understand the source and the foundation of the power of prayer. And that's what we're going to learn in the book of Acts. So what I want to do is this. I want to take some time and we're going to learn about prayer a couple times through different people who've understood prayer. One of my heroes in church history is George Mueller. Has anybody heard of George Mueller? George Mueller has inspired me to pray more than any other non-biblical person. His stories, his accounts, what we're going to hear about are quite amazing. So at this time, Stan's going to come up, and as I said, every Sunday we're going to hear about someone from church history on a certain topic. So Stan's going to come up and share about George Mueller. That was uh, George Mueller's life was very interesting uh, in the book I read and happy to share just a brief summary of some of those things. So God did an amazing work in George Mueller's life and he learned that childlike, simplistic prayer was always answered. His prayer formula was basic. A little more prayer, a little more faith, a little more patience. He had not always lived this way, however. According to Colin Whitaker in the book, Seven Guides to Effective Prayer, in Mueller's boyhood years, he looked more likely to grow into a criminal than one of the greatest Christians of his time. Born in 1805 in Prussia to a wealthy family, Mueller was overindulged as a child. He began stealing, gambling, and drinking at an early age. His father had hopes of him becoming a minister in the state church. He was sent away to school at age 10. In the following years, his behavior did not improve, even when he went on to pre-college. At age 16, Mueller was jailed for theft. After three and a half weeks, his father paid his debts and he was released. His hard living resulted in poor health and kept him in debt. Despite his life choices, he was accepted as a candidate for the Lutheran ministry to preach and study at Halle University in Germany. Mueller was befriended by a student at the university who was going to a regular meeting for prayer and Bible reading at a house in Halle. Mueller felt an urge to go to that meeting with his friend. His friend was shocked. Such a meeting seemed like the last place the notorious card-playing, wine-drinking, dance-loving Mueller would want to attend. Nevertheless, he was warmly welcomed by the host, Mr. Wagner. When Mr. Wagner closed the meeting with prayer, Mueller wondered how it was that a man with an inferior education could pray in a way far superior to anything he himself was capable of. 
That evening, the love of God reached down into Mueller's heart through that little group of believers. As he lay down to sleep, a new peace came over him. The following week, Mueller went to Mr. Wagner's house several times to search the scriptures. Quietly, God's spirit had touched Mueller's sinful, selfish heart, resulting in an amazing new birth. The love of God in Christ won him, and he found the foundation of the Bible and prayer on which he would build his life. Soon he realized that he needed to become independent of his father's support at university. He determined that he would trust God for all his provision, and praying for his needs became a lifelong practice. Having had little exposure to the scriptures previously, Mueller began studying 14 hours a day. This began to take a toll on his health. Becoming a missionary began to fill his mind, and he started to seek God about his future. Prompted by a godly tutor, he applied and was accepted for training with the London Society for Promoting Christianity Among the Jews. In London, Mueller studied long hours to learn the Hebrew language, but soon became ill. By the providence of God, at the place he went to recuperate, he met Henry Craig, who had become his closest friend. The Bible became his only guide and standard of judgment in spiritual things, and he made a total surrender of his life to the Lord Jesus. Over his remaining years, he read the Bible cover to cover more than 100 times with prayer and meditation. The truth of the Lord's second coming was so powerfully impressed upon Mueller through Henry Craig that when Mueller returned to London, he laid his whole life at the feet of Christ. Mueller once said the secret of his life was, there was a day when I died utterly died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will, died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame of even my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. During this time when he was a preacher, he met and fell in love with Mary Groves. They married in October 1830. They eventually had two children, a daughter and a son. Sadly, their son did not live long. Mueller's friend, Henry Craig, went to pastor a church in Bristol, England. When Henry saw the great need there, he invited Mueller to join him. They both prayed much about this opportunity and the family moved. From the first, God blessed their faithful ministry and their work prospered. Eventually, Mueller and Craig and five others formally founded a simple New Testament church with the word of God as their guide. They were challenged that summer as cholera raged throughout the city with death and suffering everywhere. They were kept busy day and night, visiting the dying, burying the dead, and praying for the plague to cease. 
That fall, as the plague began to abate, it became apparent that many children were orphaned and in great need of care and help. Both Mueller and Craig decided not to receive a salary from their church, but would continue to look to the Lord to supply their needs through voluntary offerings, and God was faithful and generous. Mueller and Craig felt burdened to help the cause of Christ wherever possible, and this led to the founding of the Scriptural Knowledge Institution for Home and Abroad. Their goals were to assist day schools, Sunday schools, adult schools in scriptural instruction, to put children of the poor into day schools, to circulate the Holy Scriptures, and aid in supplying the needs of missionaries and missionary schools. They both agreed that all this would be done without asking for money, would use only committed Christians, would never go into debt, but would be sustained by faith in God and secret prayer. During this time in England, the plight of thousands of children was dire. With very few orphanages, young children worked 12 to 14 hours a day in factories and coal mines and were without any schooling. Those who escaped the factories lived on the streets, usually barefoot, and had to steal in order to eat. The needs of the poor pressed heavily upon Mueller, and in June 1833, he began to gather some of the poorest children in the neighborhood for breakfast, followed by some teaching. The time came that Mueller was convicted that God was telling him clearly to open up an orphanage. Mueller's supreme motive in this was that God might be magnified by orphans being fully provided for in a Christian environment by prayer and faith alone. Soon thereafter, God provided the money and the works to open an orphanage in the rented Mueller home for 30 orphan girls. After months of preparation, the Muellers moved out and with prayer and praise, the orphanage was completed. The establishment of orphanages was added to the existing list of scriptural knowledge institution objectives. Over the next decades, several more orphanages were opened where over 8,000 children were cared for and taught about Jesus. In 1870, Mueller's wife, Mary, died. The following year, he married a longtime friend who helped greatly in his future work. Eventually, Mueller felt God's call to travel and preach the gospel. He handed over the running of the orphanage to his son, to his son-in-law. Over the next 17 years, Mueller and his wife traveled some 200,000 miles, preaching in 42 different countries. During one of these trips, they encountered thick fog off the coast of Newfoundland. The captain, a red-eyed red -eyed from lack of sleep and through peering vainly into the gloom, was startled by a gentle tap on his shoulders. He swung around to find one of his passengers, an old man in his late 70s. Captain, he said, I have come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. It was then Wednesday. Impossible, snorted the captain. 
Very well, the man said. If your ship can't take me, God will find some other means to take me. I have never broken an engagement in 57 years. The man's tranquility calmed the ruffled and tired captain, and he lifted his wearied hands in gesture of despair as he replied, I would help if I could, but I am helpless. Let's go down to the chart room and pray, said the man. Do you know how dense the fog is, asked the captain. The passenger responded, No, my eye is not on the thickness of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. In the chart room, the man lifted his voice to God in in childlike simplicity. O Lord, if it is consistent with thy will, please remove this fog in five minutes. Thou knowest the engagement thou didst make for me in Quebec on Saturday. I believe it is thy will. The captain thought he ought to humor the old man who was about to pray, when once again he felt the tap on his shoulder. Don't pray, said the man, because you do not believe. And as I believe, God has already answered. There is no need for you to pray, he went on. Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years, and there has never been a single day that I have failed to gain an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, and open the door, and you will find the fog is gone. The captain duly obeyed. He flung it open and was amazed and astounded to find that the fog had disappeared. The captain testified that his encounter with the aged and revered George Mueller completely revolutionized the whole of his Christian life. From that moment on, faith became a reality to him, and he knew that Mueller's God was the true and living God. During Mueller's 90th year, his wife died. Back at home in Bristol on the evening of March 9th, 1898, Mueller led the evening prayer at one of the orphanages, then retired for the night. In the morning, he awoke early as usual, ready for his quiet time. But that morning, the King of Kings, in whose presence he had spent so much time in prayer, called him home. Thanks, Dan. George Mueller. I'm going to give you some resources to look up George Mueller, read about George Mueller. Let me just, we're going to do something different here this morning. We're going to take some time and pray. It'd be foolish of me to go, hey, guess what? Prayer's important. There's a God who hears and not pray. Let me just give you a few verses on corporate prayer. We're not going to have a corporate prayer meeting tonight or the next couple of weeks. I want it to organically grow as we learn from Scripture the importance of prayer. So we're all together today, so we're going to pray together. I like Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Very important thing about prayer is unity. Unity. 
when it comes to corporate prayer. And I believe personally that our church has become more and more unified in the past couple years than it has in a long time. And I'm excited about that. 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15 says this, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked Him for. When we come and pray according to His will, He hears us. I love that. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keeping on praying for all the saints. Always pray, always pray. God is here. He hears us. So I'm going to have Pastor Tony come up, and we're going to, there's, can you put the next slide up? We're just going to, as a group, as a church, pray for these things. God is here right now. And we're going to pray. It's interesting, whenever you see me with a super short haircut, you know I had to go to Madison. This past week I went down to Madison. I did a presentation before the Senate and the Assembly. And one of the, one, <laughs> one of the days I was with, it was for the Office of School Safety under the Department of Justice to get funding to help our schools. And I was with the director and we sat seven hours. I sat in the same chair for seven hours. Except when she said, go get some food, we're hungry. I'm like, yeah, we are. Seven hours before I could share my four-minute presentation. And I kept going, oh, oh, come on. Do you know that right now, at a moment's notice, God is here. He's already here, and he's going to hear our prayers. We don't have to wait seven hours. We don't have to have fancy haircuts. I like George Mueller's haircut. Man, that was awesome. Man, i got to look like that more often. God is here right now. In the next year and a half, you and I, we're going to learn to pray. Even though I'm a pastor, I know how to pray. I pray all the time. No, I need to put that attitude aside and be like the disciples in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. They go, Lord, teach us to pray. Oh, I can't wait to learn to pray with you. So to begin with today, we're just going to pray these things. I got five things up, six things up there. I'm just going to say a little prayer about the first one, and Tony's going to say a prayer about the, that one. Then we'll go to the next one, and we're going to lay our hearts before the Lord, and I would ask that you join us. Now, some of you have specific things about your families. You have specific needs that you have. Maybe it's physical needs. Maybe it's spiritual needs. We don't know those, but just in your hearts, present those requests to the Lord. We're going to pray also for our church. We're going to pray for our city. And we're going to pray for our nation. When's the last time you prayed for our president? Maybe you haven't voted. Oh, he's not the one I voted for. I'm not asking that. Daily we should pray for our president. Daily we should pray for our government, right? So would you, and honestly, I don't care how long this takes. Because the game's not till like midnight, right? Tonight or whenever it is, I don't know. It won't be that long. But if you would... Just, I love the George Mueller story about the fog. He's like, I got to get there. God's called me there. The captain's like, what are you talking about? There's no way. Don't you see how 
thick the fog is, my eye is not on the thickness of the fog, but on the God who controls every circumstance of my life. They go down to prayer, and the captain's like, oh, here's this big prayer warrior. And he's like, it's suited for a Sunday school class. Lord, if it's your will, get me there. So if you would just join me in prayer. Maybe if you're squirrely, like, kind of crazy like me, maybe you need to fold your hands. You don't have to fold your hands. You don't have to close your eyes, but if you want to close your eyes, and as we pray these things in your heart, give your request, because we don't know what is in your heart right now, in your life. Let's present these to the Lord. So let's some, take some time in prayer. So dear Lord, we come before you right now and we pray. And we confess that sometimes we're lacking in prayer because we're so overwhelmed with stuff and we think we can do it. Or we're overwhelmed with joy and, and plenty and we don't see the need of prayer when things are good. So forgive us for that. And forgive some of us because sometimes we're arrogant. Oh, I've got prayer down. I, I, I could teach about prayer. Help us be like those disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. So Lord, we come before you right now knowing that you hear us. And we begin with just presenting our needs to us. I know in this room we have a variety of people from different backgrounds, different areas of life. Some have many children that are over next door. Some are very young. Some are a handful. We're just overwhelmed with that. We have many needs. Some in this room are empty nesters. So Lord, we have many needs with our families. We have many needs with health, financial concerns. So Lord, we're just going to take like 10 seconds in silence and from our hearts we're going to present our needs before you. Lord, in humility and in faith, we know that you hear our needs. And I pray that you would prompt us more just to come humbly and just ask for help. That we would be truly dependent followers of you, I pray. Lord Almighty, sometimes when I pray, I like to uh, think about the high priest in the Old Testament entering into the Holy of Holies. That sacred obligation, privilege that he had on behalf of the, the nation, and yet the, the risk that that involved coming into your very presence. And we thank you so much that we can come before a holy God, not because we are holy and, and righteous and, and perfect on our own, but because of the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us, has been given to us, that that veil has been torn and we can enter into your presence in prayer. But we do that with reverence and awe and reflection and remembrance on who you are. We don't just waltz into your presence casually, but we, we honor you and glorify you. And as we spend time with you, we thank you that uh, you are a God who hears, who listens, who longs for us to come and, and share our needs and our wants and our desires with you. And you know them full well before we even enter into your presence, but you're, just as a father, is delighted to have 
his child come and, and present a request to, to him, expressing that connection, that relationship, that dependence. We, too, in prayer today, we come before you to express our dependence on you. We have so many needs. Sometimes we treat you like a vending machine and just and want, want you to give us what we want right away, and, and we are confused why you don't answer our prayers in the way in which we want them answered. So we, we confess, God, that we sometimes just get it all wrong. We, we, we don't understand prayer. We're, we're all growing and learning, and help us to know and understand this, the intimacy we can have with you and the communion we can share with you in prayer by coming and talking with you and bearing our hearts and our souls and crying out to you, sometimes lamenting, God, and maybe and perhaps that's um, an element of prayer that we haven't understood well, just to cry out and say, God, how long will this go on? How long will we battle against these things in our lives? How long will this struggle with cancer, go on. We don't know that we can make it much longer sometimes, and so we lament, we cry out to you, and we, we depend on you for our very daily breath. And I'm reminded as well of, of uh, Paul's writing in Philippians where he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And so God, teach us to be content. As we may, may think that we have all these specific needs, but our greatest need is you. And so we come to prayer and asking for more of you, more of you in our lives, that you would be central to all we do and think and live and breathe and how we, how we serve you in our lives. We lift up our families. Pastor Tony will pray for children and the students. But at this time, I just want to lift up the needs that we have, maybe even in this room. There's broken relationships often in families. Sometimes there's kids that don't talk to parents. There's rivalry. There's brokenness. Lord, we pray for restoration. Lord, we pray for reconcilia reconciliation and restoration within the broken family matters that we have represented in this room. Often there's brokenness because of sin, so Lord, may we be quick, if we're involved, to confess our sins because you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to get our hearts right, to get our attitudes right before we expect others to act in a different manner. So Lord, I pray for the brokenness. I pray even that you sustain and help those in this room that maybe have family members that don't want to talk to them anymore. They've severed the relationship and it's very hard. So I pray you sustain them because God, you do sustain us through that. And Lord, we also ask that you be with those family members who maybe have gone astray, we could say, or walked away from from you and they are living lifestyles or doing things that we know will get them in trouble we pray that you would rescue them whether that's through your holy spirit convicting them that they would yield to that or we pray that even they would have co-workers or neighbors speak to them and show them the beauty of christ amen father god we pray for the children teenagers in our in our uh 
church family here. We thank you that even right now we have amazing volunteers who are um, serving and pointing children and teens to Christ in the building next door in our ministry center. We thank you so much for that building and how you provided for uh, our church and expanding the space and what a privilege it is to have that space to use to, uh, to minister to the next generations. And we pray for all the things that they face. Uh, our world is constantly changing. It's different from when many of us uh, as adults were, were children. Uh, we had different challenges, different things we faced, but there's just an onslaught of, of, of concerns and anxieties and fears and worries that uh, teenagers and even younger children are daily faced with. And so many of them are battling against mental health issues and, and, and they are uncertain about um, maybe even their family situation. Perhaps some are, are going through a divorce or parents are struggling in their marriages and the kids feel that, they experience that, and they're uncertain what that means for their own future. And um, others have, have experienced abuse and trauma um, as children, and they're dealing with that. They're trying to navigate through that. There are children and teenagers who, who do self-harm. They, they cut themselves. They struggle with eating disorders and other issues. Um, some have, have made just super foolish decisions and have gotten involved in, in sharing um, images of themselves with other students that are inappropriate and uh, and then those got, get shared out and then there's there's just a lot of drama and shame and all sorts of things that happen because of that. It's, it's just a dark world. There's so many um, forces of evil around um, that are seeking to attack our children and, and so many uh, philosophies and teachings, uh, false truths that... Um, False, false teachings that are paraded as truths in, in terms of sexuality and uh, happiness as the most important thing in the world and all of these things that our, our teenagers are bombarded with in this over-sexualized culture in which we live in. So we pray that you would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that they would think about what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and everything that is excellent, that those would be the things that they fill their minds with, that parents would have incredible wisdom in knowing how to disciple their own families, their own children, that they would take advantage of the resources we seek to provide as a church family to come alongside and encourage and equip them. Um, I pray for unity in the families. I pray for forgiveness that, that when, when teenagers and children are, are uh, hurt by their parents, and we as parents, we're sinful, we mess up, we hurt our children, even, even when it's not intentional and we, we, we mess up. I pray that our children would be quick to forgive us as parents and we would be quick to apologize as parents and there would be healing in, in those relationships and reconciliation as well. And, and so, yeah, just give our, our children's ministry and our youth ministry leaders um, endurance in dealing with some of the, the difficulties that they face and wisdom. I pray that there would be um, just a lot of joy in serving you as well um, as we invest in these younger generations and help disciple them to know and love and follow you. Lord, we thank you for our church and we thank you for the churches in this area. Not just our specific church, but the church as a whole, the body of Christ. We thank you for the many great relationships we have with Red Cedar, I just lift up Red Cedar right now. May you bless them. May you use this day as they proclaim the goodness of who you are. Be with Pastor Wes. Be with Pastor Todd. He's on vacation right now. And uh, just refresh him so when he comes back, he can continue to do your work. Thank you for the times that I get praying every week with Pastor Todd, Pastor Steve, Pastor Alan, Pastor Ned. 
We pray for the different churches in this area that, that uh, people go to, not only just Rice Lake, but even like Living Water with Pastor Ned and all the different churches in our county. May you bring us together when it comes to the beauty of the gospel. We may differ in different things theologically, which is fine, but when it comes to the essence of the gospel, we thank you for the unity that we have. And may we be a light to this community. Lord God, I pray specifically for our, our church family here at Maranatha, and I pray that uh, when, we, when we use that phrase, church family, that it would mean something, that it's not just a, a cute uh, way of calling uh, one another, but that we, we would live into that reality of, of the family of God that we are intended to be, um, and not just as an individual body, but together as Pastor Cody has prayed with other churches in our community and around the world. But as we focus so much of our, our effort in ministry and on, on growing in discipleship here and as a church family and then reaching out from our congregation, I pray for some specific things. I, I, I come before you and I confess um, that, that we don't get it right always, that we mess up, that we've fallen short. In the, in the years that I've been here, there's been some difficult things that have happened. We, we grieve the loss of, of people that were once a part of this church family and have now moved on, have connected with other, other church families and because of conflict, and, and it grieves our hearts so deeply. We just, we weep and we mourn over that loss and we pray for healing. We pray that we could be friends still and, and, and reconciled, even, even though people may not rejoin this church family because they're already connected elsewhere. I pray that when we see them in the community, when we connect with them, maybe online or, or, or wherever, that, that you would uh, bring great healing to any hurts that have happened, that where we have messed up and fallen short, that we as, as leadership, as pastors, as elders, as others in leadership at, at the church here, that we would be humble, we'd be broken, we would be quick to learn and, and change in ways that we need to change, to, to do better, to, to serve you better, to serve this congregation better. Um, that is our heart, and I, I do thank you so much for the, the elder board. I thank you for the, the love and the care and the, and the growing unity between the elders and the pastors. And it's sad to me that, that so many people in this church family don't get to see and, and truly experience what's going on um, among that group. But I thank you and praise you and pray for continued work there. I pray that when we do disagree as leaders in the church, that we would do that in a way that honors and glorifies you, that ultimately we would not be pursuing our own um, individual desires or egos or anything like that, that all of that would be laid bare and, and, and handed over to you, that in humility, though, we would be pursuing um, your will for this church family. God, I pray uh, that you would bring more unity, greater trust. Um, it's clear that there has been a, a brokenness in, in trust sometimes between the congregation and, and the pastors or between pastors and elders or between members of the congregation or whatever it may be. And so whatever we need to do to build that trust, I pray that we would press into that in a way that honors and that glorifies you. I pray for accountability. Um, accountability is a good thing. We want to hold one another accountable. We want to hold one another to high standards. We want to reflect well uh, what Christ is like in the way that we deal and interact with one another. And we thank you that this is a church that is known for generations, for, for decades. It has this reputation of being a church about discipleship. And we praise you and thank you for that. Help us to continue to grow in our evangelistic efforts. And I am excited about the mission trip to, to the Olympics in, in Paris uh, this summer 
and those who are going and are going to be doing evangelism and growing in that and, and that that would spill over into our daily lives here that we would be so excited about the good news of the gospel that we just can't hold it in that we in our friends and our neighbors our coworkers, just everybody we interact with or you know those students who are in their, in their classes and and younger kids in their friendships that that jesus would just ooze out of our conversations because of what god has done what you have done by saving us and changing us and transforming us and so um help us to be a church that just grows, that more and more we would love one another and that the world would know that we are your disciples because of our love for one another. Lord, we take time and pray for our cities. We ask that you would be with each of the cities that we have here represented, even our church, from Cumberland to Shatek to Cameron to the city of Barron to Turtle Lake, Dallas, all the different small to large Rice Lake. We thank you for the administration, the leadership, the the mayors and presidents of each of those areas, I pray that they would be doing things that are right for our community, that they would be doing things that are righteous and just, and when not, may they be found out. I also pray for our law enforcement. We are grateful for the law enforcement that we have here in our cities, our six municipalities, and also the sheriff's department. May you protect them, be with their families as this year has been a hard year for us here in Barron County, and many of the family members, it's hard to see their, office, their loved ones go, go off to work and wondering how they'll be safe. So I pray for safety and protection, and we thank you for our great law enforcement that we have here. And also we pray for our cities and county. This has been our winterless winter, and a lot of businesses have been affected greatly by it economically. Uh, th those who snow plow and do a lot of sports and recreation stuff, they didn't have that. So I pray that you would help them financially, we pray. Lord God, cities are a place uh, that people come together in, and I pray that a simple prayer that our cities would be a place of transformation, that you would transform our city that, that we're hosted in here as a church in Rice Lake, but obviously so many other cities are represented. May the cities that each of our church family members live in and work in and serve in, may those also be transformed by the power of the gospel. Uh, help us as we seek to meet the needs of the, those who are hungry, those who are homeless in a way that honors and glorifies you. And, and, and may, may you uh, work in a mighty way through the cities in our community. Lord, we lift up our state and nation. We thank you for the leaders that you have placed. At times we wonder, like, why is it going this way? And we may disagree with certain leadership. Lord, may we, instead of complain more, may we pray more. Lord, I thank you for our leadership that we have here in our county. We pray for Dave Armstrong and Romaine Quinn. May they continue to be a voice for our area and a voice for the the biblical values that they hold that we also hold. Protect them and, and bless them in many ways. We lift up our governor. May you be with him. I know that he does many things that, that amplify and help Wisconsin in many ways. At times I may disagree with some of the decisions he makes, but I pray for him and I ask that you bless him. I also pray that he would have a mind and a heart to care for those who are not born yet, the unborn, protection for them and some of the areas that that I think that he could maybe be more biblical in his values. So I pray that he would be divinely used to move our state forward. And the same is for our nation. We thank you for our nation. I pray for our president. I pray that you would use him to help our nation grow, to be protected, and to have biblical values. Even though at times he may, I would consider, be different in that area, I pray that you would help him 
change his mind if need be in those areas and also we pray you protect him we thank you for our military that are overseas right now protecting our valleys that we have as a nation and protecting those who are victims because of wars and all that's happening overseas we pray that you be with our military in that area thank you lord Yes, Heavenly Father, I pray as well for our, our nation. We thank you so much for the incredible freedoms that we have, for those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice of their lives to secure and preserve the freedoms that this country was founded on. And, and there's this, this attack on our country um, in terms of the education of the next generations and undermining the good things. And we, we don't gloss over the bad things. We have a dark history as well slavery and, and so many other things that we confess as sinful abominations that, that we were a part of, um, just, just a, lot of, a lot of awful things too, and yet we, we believe that this is a wonderful, beautiful country, and we thank you for it. Help us um, to have a helpful perspective, and, and as the next generation is educated, I pray that, that they would see the good as well, not just acknowledging the, the bad that we have, have uh, been a part of too. And so may we be quick to acknowledge um, the, the evils of our past, but celebrate the incredible good things that you've established in our country. And, and we do pray for uh, all of our leaders in, in government that you would draw them to yourselves. Those who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, we pray that you would put people in their lives who can influence them, share the gospel with them, help point them to Jesus, and that they would come to faith in Christ, and that would impact the way in which they govern in a way that honors you. And Lord, in closing, we lift up the world. I mean, this could be a long prayer, but in simple, I just want to pray for one thing. In the calendar events of this, of a yearly calendar, Today is the worst day for human trafficking because of the game tonight. Around the world, horrific things will happen. And I pray, dear Lord, that you just use law enforcement to stop these evil acts. You use different agencies. There's many um, anti-human trafficking agencies to, to help rescue and save people. We pray for the protection of those will be hurt in horrible ways there will be victims so i pray for divine revealing of where this is happening to help stop this in your precious name and father i reflect on the many wars and conflicts around our world we do cry out how long O oh lord how long will our world be so broken and so divided so many people who are just simply trying to survive and, and innocent lives being taken. And I'm reminded of Isaiah 11, 6 and following. It says, The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the, will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And this is a a prophecy of a time that will come when all the conflicts in this world will cease and there will be peace. And we pray for that, Lord. We pray that there would be more and more peace in our world and ultimately we long for that day when you will make all things new. We pray, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Heal our land. Heal our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let me send you out with this verse. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given 
right? Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. I'm excited this next year and a half to learn more about prayer. Sometimes we'll pray like this. Sometimes we'll be different. I'm excited to learn ultimately more about the character of God and his goodness. May you have an awesome week. Thanks for worshiping with us. God bless.